0: Welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This is the only podcast that gives you a raw and unfiltered perspective of what it's really like to be a professional cheerleader. Whether you're currently on a pro team, an alumni, or really curious about what it takes to become a pro cheerleader, the Pro Cheerleading Podcast gives you all the inside scoop and hot topics in the pro cheerleading industry and in-depth interviews of current and former cheerleaders. I'm your host, Makiba. Join me every Wednesday as I reveal the truth behind the palms. Welcome to another episode of the pro Training Podcast. You guys, this episode is called Can't Knock the Hustle. I might be in my Jay-Z bag from a couple episodes ago <laughs> when I named Brooklyn's Finest, but this episode is our love letter, review, whatever you want to call it for directors in our pro and semi-pro sports teams just so that they understand a little bit of where we're coming from with some feedback You guys gave me some amazing thoughts to share with directors, and I've added my own two cents when it came to this type of feedback, and I'm kind of excited to talk it through. It's been a long time since I've done an episode where it's just me running my mouth, but I really had to take a step back and think back to, you know, not just my rookie year, but just all the years on the team and the changes that I noticed and the way that we were managed and just thinking about all the feedback that you guys shared Um, And just really, you know, putting myself in the director's shoes. You guys know, I always have to try to put myself in the other person's shoes and think about things from all angles. And so, you know, while I have not been a director, I've interviewed plenty of directors as part of the podcast over the years. And I often thought about how they would receive some of this feedback as I was kind of planning out this episode. And so understanding from their perspective, some of the things that they face and struggle and have to balance, you know, I hope that we can have a very balanced discussion about it because there's things that kind of cut both ways. There's responsibilities on us as dancers, as professionals here, and they also have competing considerations. So we'll just talk through it, see how it goes. I hope you guys share additional feedback on this episode. Like I said, it's not like you can really, you know, email it to your director and say, listen to this, but you know, who knows, maybe you can and should, but we're going to get right into it. There are so many points, and I tried to organize them, but, you know, I kind of thought about it in terms of just, one, how you go about getting the job of director, just some considerations and feedback that you guys shared about experience that would be necessary for director. what would be helpful if they had um, in terms of job experience, and then once they have the role, what that role even means, you know, they don't just manage the cheerleaders, they also have their boss and different people within the organization that they not necessarily report to, but they're accountable to as well. And so let's just kind of flush through that. And then, you know, let's talk about how the directors select the team, you know, how they run their auditions process, just feedback and things that you guys wanted them to know about that. And then once you've selected the team, how you go about managing the team, you know, there's plenty of people that wrote in about diversity and inclusion and how that factors into both selecting the team and managing the team. And then, you know, just different thoughts that come through in terms of, like, how the team is marketed, how they use social media, how you provide feedback to your squad, because everybody wants to improve and get better. And that should be part of, I think, the communication that could be open between directors and cheerleaders and dancers so that you don't have to have a podcast say it all for you, (laughs) but One of the things, obviously, with managing the team that everybody spoke to and we're going to spend a good little amount of chunk of time on is favoritism and how that impacts the team and plays out. So I didn't mean to leave that out, but that's a huge chunk of, of managing the team. So that's the layout. Watch me swerve all over the place, but you know what? Oh, well. I put this title, Can't Knock the Hustle. It seemed to fit. It really made me think of the chorus, and maybe you guys are too young to appreciate all things Mary J. Blige but you know at the end of the day it's a job for the directors it's probably a dream job for the directors to be able to do what they love I'm sure they were you know probably former dancers and have a passion for it and so you know there's just a lot of considerations that they have to have to keep that job we audition for these teams and we're trying to get a spot out of like maybe what 20 to 40 positions if you're talking NBA and NFL And these directors, you know, there's one shot out of like 26 teams for NFL, 30 teams for NBA. So it's like a super, super highly coveted position. And once you have it, I'm sure these directors feel the pressure to keep it, right? So there's a lot of hustle involved to kind of do a lot and be a lot of things to a lot of different people. And as much hard work as goes into getting the job, they have to keep it. And, you know, as a dancer, you can't knock it. There's a lot behind the scenes that we don't see that they take care of, that they, you know, do to uphold the program and to establish the program, to take the program to new heights. And so as I was thinking of all this, you know, critique and criticism and feedback that we could give both positive and negative, at the end of the day, we can't be mad because this position is tough. It's hard to get it. They're holding it down and they're hopefully doing a great job at it. It's just they have their own considerations to think about. They're hustlers, and they're actually in the process of doing their job. They're selling the value of the pro cheerleaders and dancers to the organization. The product, so to speak, is the entertainment on the field, on the court, and it's a reflection on them personally of what we bring to the organization, you know, the whole way that they manage, the way that we carry ourselves out in the community Like that's all a reflection on them. So they are hustling hard to make us look our best, you know, to push us in the right direction and to be a great representation for the team, which helps them keep their job. So we can't knock the hustle. That's kind of the vibe I was going for with the title. But now that that's all said, (laughs) I can just kind of get into it and talk about some of the feedback that you guys shared with me. And again, we'll just take our time through it. I tend to feel rushed when it's me talking because I get a little nervous, but I'm going to take it easy because this, this is a really good topic. And I think they have a huge impact on our lives as dancers. And so I think it's important for them to understand some feedback from our voices of how they can best manage that influence, right? Okay. So the first topic is you know, how they go about getting the job of director in the first place. And, you know, I think when people wrote in with this concern, it was really when the directors don't have pro cheerleading experience, like they weren't a pro cheerleader themselves. I think that's kind of rare, at least from looking at bios of directors, at least for NBA, um, and I believe NFL as well. They usually select a former cheerleader for that organization or somebody with dance experience. But I could imagine, especially for some of the teams that, you know, have different components like stunting or the different entertainment teams that it would be helpful to have somebody with more of a background to support the various teams. Because I think what happens when directors don't have the right experience, they lean heavily on the squad that they select. Whether it's captains or their coaches that may report to them, especially when it comes to like leaning on your team, your team captains. I know they get paid typically a little bit extra, but it can be kind of frustrating, I think, to have a lot of weight fall on their shoulders if it's something that you don't bring to the table as a director. I've heard of a few instances where the directors basically have the title, but they delegated so much to their team to handle that they basically, you know, having the title without actually doing the work. And while it's great experience for the people who are being trusted to kind of lead the team in the absence of that leadership with the director, you know, is it really fair? Are they getting enough of a bump in their pay to justify basically running practices and whatnot? I've heard it happen before, I don't know that how common that is, but I think you'll get a lot more respect, obviously, from your team if you actually have background and expertise, and maybe that you weren't just hand-selected based on favoritism or something like that, but that you actually had the right qualifications and leadership style to actually lead the team. I think there's instances, especially with people who have a prior history of cheering for the organization... I think they tend to pick like people who are leaders like whether they were pro bowl cheerleaders captains etc so it's not just extremely random which is good but i think the base point here that i took away from people's feedback was just they should have some expertise because it's not always clear that they're going to be having a like a separate choreographer to do the choreography you know you need to be very well-rounded candidate one would think so that you can handle the business side of it that you can handle the choreography that you understand, you know, game day entertainment, that you just have the right expertise for the job. Another point that came up in feedback from everyone was just, are you doing this for your own glorification? Like, why are you really going after the position of wanting to be the coach? Is it because you were a dancer and this just seems like the natural progression to coach or to lead? Or is it your focus has shifted to being for the team's betterment and not really like for yourself, for your own glorification. I think there are just certain types and we all know those types where like you are the center of your own world and everything's about you. And I think if that's the type of personality that ends up in a leadership position of a team, then it's not like that miraculously goes away. It's supposed to be kind of about the spotlight being on the team, not so much on yourself. And most people make that Transition gracefully, but somebody wrote in and mentioned that, you know, like it's not about you basically. So take that for what it's worth. I think there are times where people, whether it's attention from media or just wanting to kind of be known to having like this tough program or whatever it might be, I mean, it's not really about you at the end of the day. It's not supposed to be anyway. It's supposed to be about the dancers. So I think the motivation for why you want to be a director in the first place should come from this space of wanting to elevate the program as a whole so that all dancers shine and make the program look good. And you know, the kudos that goes back to you from it just happens naturally, but I really shouldn't be leading with this mindset of you making a name for yourself. And again, it's the hustle. So everybody's going to want to have like a resume building experience where they're getting experience under their belt and preparing themselves for the next thing. But at the same time, if you have a leadership position from that moment forward, it should really be about your team and not about you at the end of the day, right? So I think that was the gist of that comment. I'm sharing everybody's comments anonymously, obviously, but I do want to make sure that I touch on everybody that wrote in. Um, there were a lot of themes, like I said, so it may not be super specific, but you'll get the gist. Okay, so now you've got the job, you've been selected, hopefully from a pool of amazing candidates, all who are wanting to take this team to the next level, you had the right background, experience coaching the choreography. Hopefully you have some corporate experience and understand marketing um, to add that to your belt, or you're just really eager to learn and have that be part of your role. So once you are hired by the team, you know, I think it's important for us as dancers, obviously to understand that they have other stakeholders that weigh heavily in the decisions that they're able to make for the team. Um, so not only are they managing the team and that's like 18 to 40 personalities that they're having to manage, they possibly have a staff. So that's their coaches or choreographers. And then they also have up the chain that they report to, like, maybe it's like their VP of fan engagement or something of that sort and just other stakeholders within the company. Ultimately they, you know, report to the owner of the organization. And so lots of people to satisfy and keep happy, lots of different interests to balance. And so I think in terms of feedback for the directors based on that, it's just really hopefully being as much of an advocate as you can while keeping your job (laughs) for the dancers that are in your program. Obviously in a corporate setting, you have to get buy-in from people to make certain changes and you have to advocate smartly and kind of have that business savvy to know how to leverage those relationships to get things done, frankly. And hopefully they have that scope of not just being in the bubble of the cheer space within the organization, but understanding the need to partner. Because I'll just say from my experience that from the outside looking in, it always wasn't completely clear how well integrated the cheerleading program was with the rest of the Seahawks organization. So you know, it made me think, is there room for more coordination? Like, should we be talking to the digital media team or the corporate sponsorship team and figuring out ways, not me, but the director, right? Figuring out ways that you can maximize those relationships, those partnerships with sponsors, rather than just having a show up and nobody knows what we're supposed to be doing or, you know what I mean? Like just kind of more coordination. And you know, I think at the end of the day, you can't run your cheerleading program in a vacuum. And I'm sure the directors obviously live this every day and know that. But I think some of the feedback from people is just that they wish they could be doing more, marketed more, or, you know, given more opportunities. And I just think that comes from, obviously, the relationships that you develop within the organization and really just, again, pushing the value that we can bring by having those talks and having it clear, like, what your goals are for the program with the rest of the organization. like, maybe... It's a conversation at the beginning of the season of like, hey, these are some of the things that we're wanting to do differently this year, ways that we want to grow, new sponsorship categories that we want to add, you name it. But it's like trying to like cultivate those conversations as best you can, right? Without rocking the boat, because I think sometimes there's this perception that like you know, the directors are just kind of told what the cheerleaders are supposed to do. And then they just kind of pass it on down to the cheerleaders. And obviously, there's not a lot that we see behind the scenes. But I think the more proactive the directors can be in bringing ideas to the organization of how we can be better used, I would think it would go a long way as long as you've established like that relationship and that trust within the organization of like, I've thought about this, I've researched it. This is what other teams are doing. This is how we can do it our way. Like, I would think that that kind of initiative would be appreciated and kind of waiting around for them to figure out what to do with this is is obviously not the most ideal approach. And sometimes programs get stale, you know, it's like the status quo or the tradition of how things are done. And I think directors, from what I'm hearing from people, it's just like, they're wanting you to be hungry and innovative and thinking of different things and ways to improve and better utilize the dancers. And I think at the end of the day, that's the overall comment was just using your business savvy to work those relationships internally within the organization. When it comes to getting things done or figuring out how you can do something, it's really just based on those relationships and getting people to believe in what you're selling. And if you're pitching an idea about a way that cheerleaders could be used for a sponsorship or something along those lines, or a new sponsorship idea for the cheerleaders. You know, it's gonna take relationships with maybe the corporate sponsorships team or ways of trying to like partner and collaborate so you can figure out the right way to pitch that. If you don't have the like expertise yourself as a director, obviously, then knowing how to like work those relationships so that you can get it done. I think of things all the time of like cool or interesting sponsorship ideas. Somebody wrote in about, and I can't tell if this person wants credit or not, but it's not my idea um, of just having like dry cleaning service as one of the sponsors. And obviously I've mentioned this in another episode, like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders have like sponsors galore. They have a, what did I just look at? They have a meal prep sponsor that I just saw them post the other day. So there's so many different things that, You know, you just got to be innovative and think through that. Maybe you can pitch new ideas of ways that you can be supporting your program, especially with COVID and knowing that, like, not having as many fans in the stands is going to ultimately impact budgets and really them operating a full season potentially without having any cheerleaders at all. It's just kind of like thinking outside of the box of ways that you can reintroduce the value of the cheerleaders. It's not just about us dancing, but just taking the extra initiative to come up with new things that we can do. That's the feedback, you know, take it or leave it. Who knows if they're listening, but I still think you guys had a lot of ideas in this space. And like I said, I think it's just being innovative, really leveraging those relationships internally within the organization so that you can try new things and get things done and have that internal support. You know, it makes me think of some of the interviews that I've had with directors where I know Chrissia just mentioned like encouraging directors to speak up and to show their expertise, show that you know what you're talking about, and be willing to pitch that and not necessarily defend your work, but basically be able to explain why you would do something differently or another way and having confidence in trying to push that because nobody does what we do, nobody does what the directors do, obviously and nobody knows that space better. So I think your ideas and input is valuable. And as Chrysia said, don't be afraid to help the people within your organization know that. It's not to say that you're always going to have pushback in this space. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of teams that have a lot of internal support, but I think when it comes to innovating and really trying to keep Pro cheer alive and just trying to again just adapt to all of the changing circumstances around us it's going to require a lot from the directors and i think from the dancers perspective they just feel like sometimes we're just waiting for whatever's handed to us so that's the point on that okay the next topic is how the directors select the team lots and lots and lots and lots of feedback here a lot of which we've covered in different episodes but For this episode, I think we'll just focus on what people mentioned, just like directors have it in their head, like what is an ideal cheerleader for their team? And that becomes super, super clear in like how they market the team, like who they select for different promotions, opportunities, who kind of ends up being the face of the organization. And the bottom line from feedback is just that that image needs to evolve I've never really understood why directors only have like this one image in mind when it comes to like the image of their team. It never really made sense to me because you go through all this trouble in the auditions process to pick a variety of people who hopefully uphold what you're looking for. Then there's so many different factors that you're looking for in an ideal teammate. But when it comes to like who you select for different opportunities, it just ends up being like the same carbon copy type of person and at the end of the day that's it's just getting played and old and people want to see that evolve. I mean you have like a beautiful array of people to choose from. So it should always be a different face of the team. I think for the most part, and I don't mean to keep using Dallas, but I do think in more recently you're just seeing a very broad variety of the different girls that are on the team. It's not like you see the same face over and over again like whoever's point on the pyramid like In their marketing of the team, they are doing a much better job of showing the whole roster. Like there's people I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that person was on the squad, but you wouldn't see. Well, I'm not really the best like avid fan of the show to know everybody by heart. But I just think at the end of the day for other teams, the more that they kind of get people familiar with every single person on the team, as opposed to just kind of like always showing the same person over and over again. I think it just works so much better because... It reflects the diversity that you were hoping that you would be wanting to portray and it's just a more colorful more beautiful just more diverse more interesting squad right to get to know but i think in the auditions process the main point is that you're looking for so many different things that make someone a good cheerleader a good representative for your organization you hear all about their background you interview them you know their occupation, you know, all these different things. And it just seems like once the season starts, like you forget all about it or you don't remember those things that made that person stand out. And you want to kind of share that back out with the fans, the judges, feedback, like all those things that made this person interesting is what you should be like sharing back out to everyone as part of your normal cycle of marketing your team. Versus just constantly focusing on the same people. Let's just talk about favoritism. Let's just get into it because I feel like it's the root of all evil when it comes to how these teams are managed. I mean, so many people wrote in about this. So like, it's a topic. Let's just give it its due time. When there is favoritism, somebody wrote in that it impacts the morale of the team and your overall performance. Like, if you know that you're always going to be stuck in the back, in the corner somewhere, not to say that you shouldn't continue as a performer to push through and to really shine and show that you should be point or at least move from the formation somewhere else. But it does impact how you feel like or how you feel that you're viewed by the director. And you might feel like there's less hope in trying to get your director's attention because their head is always peeled towards one particular dance or a couple dancers that they always go to and always have in the front. And who knows what would happen if you switch things up and you pick somebody that is constantly being overlooked and let them shine. I'm sure you're going to get a different performance out of them if they know that they're going to be in the front and that shouldn't be the case. They should be performing that way anyway. I get it. But it's just that favoritism is demoralizing, and I think you could get more out of your performers if you actually gave each of them a chance to do their thing and to showcase why they are just as deserving. It's something to think about. You know, there's other opportunities like, you know, promos or, you know, captain roles or representatives for pro role, et cetera, like different opportunities. And if they always go to the whoever's got the apple of the director's eye, as opposed to anything that's more objective and more fair. I feel like our team sometimes was impacted by that lack of morale of people feeling like, well, there's no point because they're only gonna pick so-and-so or just automatically ruling themselves out of opportunities that they were just as qualified and talented enough to receive, but you just kind of know that your director's mind might be fixated on someone else. And that's just, you know, is that really the kind of team that you wanna run? And at the end of the day, Even if you lie and say that you don't have favorites, it's like, (laughs) you're not really slick with it. It's kind of like hella obvious. Somebody said it's not hella. I said hella, but somebody said it's really, really obvious when you have favorites. And it's something that I would just like to say, like, it's not very well hidden. So you might as well just like, be honest with yourself to say like, okay, I really do think this person, and this person are my rock stars on my team. They really stand out. They always deliver. They're my favorites. Just admit it to yourself and then put that to the side and then allow other people to showcase that they also bring the same assets to the table. Like, put your favorites to the side. And when it comes to opportunities and recognition or formations, et cetera, just still switch it up because you should, right? Like, it's okay to acknowledge that you have certain people that you like watching more, but it doesn't mean that you have to give all of those opportunities to those favorites. Like you should be making a concerted effort not to provide everything to those favorites because it's just a more equitable way to run your team. And I think you'll get a lot more out of your performers if they know that eventually everybody's going to get their turn. If they're showing up and doing what they're supposed to do, going above and beyond, et cetera, then it's not something that they're just going to be overlooked because they're not one of your favorites. At the end of the day, don't run your team like a sorority. That's the bottom line. Like, I'm actually, I shouldn't even say that because I wasn't part of sorority and I don't want to make judgments, but basically, you know, that clicky vibe that just elevating some over others, just like have a team and run it equitably so that everybody's on the same playing field and everybody should be bringing it because they're all professionals. Nobody needs to be coddled and, and coached to really give you the 150% that you're looking for. But at the same time, you know, sometimes the favorites know that they're your favorites and they be slipping. Let's keep it real, Mm -hmm. you know? And you want to have a management style that holds everybody accountable, where the favorites don't get away with everything. The favorites aren't going to just kind of get it just because they can. And knowing that people will be able to have equal opportunity and an equal playing field to excel and be recognized on the team. I think that's what the feedback is from everybody. So take it for what it's worth. I think the other thing that came up was just that in terms of management style, not just favorites, but just sometimes people feel like it's okay to be strict and have rules that you're willing to enforce, Um, you know, kind of going the friend route and just being friends with everyone or wanting everybody to like you doesn't really help the team grow. So it sounds like people are wanting, you know, you to be a little more firm, you know, and maybe that is sometimes because of the closeness and age you know, some of the newer directors that are, you know, more or less the the age range of the people that are on the team. But I think what I was hearing from comments was just, it's okay to have rules. Like it's part of the program. It's part of the expectations. We're all professionals and hold everybody to it because that's what keeps your program in line. It pushes people in the right ways and it enforces a standard when you don't have that. I think it shows in the way that your team carries themselves. It shows in the way that they are in practice. And ultimately it's probably not showing a great deal of respect for you as a leader. So it's okay to have rules and to enforce them. It's okay to be strict. You know, on the flip side of that, you know, people are writing in like the dancers want to feel appreciated as well. It's not just being told what to do, acknowledging their effort and, making them feel like they're they're valued members of the organization. And I know some people think that that's just part of the job, like you're getting paid to do a job. This isn't like college where you are part of a team and there's a, I won't say that there's a whole lot more coddling, but there's different expectations, right? And you can expect probably a lot more coaching and development in college than you would at the pro level where they're assuming that you're professionals and they're maybe not kind of, Doing a lot of hand holding and coddling. And I think there's a balance, right? I think it doesn't have to be so extreme on either side, but it's a mutual respect. I think that's probably what it boils down to when I think of the comment that came in. It's like, dancers want to feel respected. I'm sure coaches want to feel respected. And I think when it's lacking on either side, there's going to be issues. It needs to always be in balance where you're showing the respect of the dancers. And I will say, frankly, like, in interviewing some of the directors that I have, I'll say on NBA, I was really shocked at how well organized they held their practices because it showed a respect for the dancers time as well. Like, granted, you're getting paid, but I remember nights, you know, when I was on the team and yes, I'm getting paid for it. But like there was a lot of wasted time because um, this is truth behind the palms. I'll keep it real. It just didn't seem like the practices themselves were always organized of what they wanted to do or at what order they wanted to do it or organizing things before we got there it got better and it wasn't all the time by any means but there would be times where just a really really late evening I came prepared hopefully to do what I needed to do but it wasn't that it was done on the other side with the directors and the way that they managed the practice so you have a really late night and it's kind of a respect thing in my view because you know understanding that people on your team have jobs they have children or whatever it might be that they are also balancing so it's like all come prepared you come prepared and there's like a mutual respect for each other so that you can make the most of the time that you're together you know and I think that kind of blends into another point that was made about practices is just setting people up for success right where you are getting the most out of the time that you're together that you are giving people an opportunity to work on the feedback that you have. Like somebody said, like, let's not clean, like the week before, but clean as you learn. And everybody has different styles of what they prefer for learning. But I think the more that you can prepare the dancers to know what to expect and to show up prepared to do that work and kind of like having really tightly run practices, you probably save so much time. Well, this was back in the day pre rona There were so many things like leading up to, being prepared for practice, you're doing your best managing a job, you know, you're fighting traffic to get there and spending time idly waiting to be told what to do is not necessarily the most effective use of everybody's time. And I think it just ultimately just shows like, I won't say lack of respect, but just, you know, let your time is more valuable than mine. That's how at least I looked at it. Of course, I didn't say anything. You just You're just sitting there waiting, but it's something to think about of like, what ways can you manage a team to get the best out of them? And if that means that they know in advance what routines they need to have prepared, tell them. If it means that you map out what you want to do for each practice and that you stick to a schedule so that you're not there super, super late. Those are things that can go a long way. Another thing that kind of came up in terms of like managing the team is just that, The dancers and cheerleaders, I think, would love to have feedback. Early on, you know, somebody wrote in and mentioned, can you set goals together? Like maybe your individual goals that you might have for yourself as a dancer and hear what your director's goals are for the season. You know, they watch you during auditions, they probably made note of your strengths and weaknesses and things that they want you to work on. Like maybe that can just be Establish as a beginning of the season conversation where you both agree on the goals that you have, not weight loss goals, but goals of you as a dancer, of you as a public speaker, all the different things that make you a well-rounded and amazing cheerleader or dancer for the organization. And then having like a point in the season where you get some feedback on that. Like, what have you been doing? If technique was one of the goals that you had, like, have you been taking classes or what have you done to improve on that goal? Or how can I help you be more successful in that goal? But giving feedback, I think that's what brings the most out of your dancers because they know where they stand. They know what you're looking for. They know the potential that you see in them and they are motivated by that. They're inspired by that. It pushes them. So, you know, during the season, if they know that they have these goals established and a check-in, that can be part of their mindset and they become part of their daily practice of how to be better and how to improve. And then, you know, at the end of the season, if you have like an exit interview, not everybody does that as a team. Like we didn't do it, but if we did do it, it would be great to be able to know at the end of the season where you stand. And it's not like the subjective, or I don't know where I stand. It's all unclear. I think I did good this season. I think I had an amazing rookie year. No, you're actually having a meeting where you're just talking through, and I'm not saying groundbreaking stuff, you guys, like some teams do this, but I think for the teams that don't, I think that lack of communication impacts performance and impacts expectations. You know, you hold people accountable to those goals. And if, You know, you get to the end of the season and you look at what the progress that's been made or, you know, I'm still actually telling you about X, Y and Z. It doesn't really look like this was something that you were able to focus on this season for auditions. Hopefully you'll come with this address so that we don't have to continue to talk about it or whatever. And I think it just gives people a good sense of where they stand so that audition season doesn't have to be such a mystery for returning vets. I think it means a lot to have feedback, to know how you performed. You know, in your mind, you might think you did amazing, but the director might have a completely different perspective. And why not share that and keep it open so that people know where they stand and know what they need to work on? And you don't have to say it till you're blue in the face. If they're not thinking about it throughout the season, if they're not thinking about it in the off season and they're not working on it prior to auditions, then, well, the proof is in the dang on pudding if you don't make the team. Like, it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be heartbreaking. You know, you get what you put into it. And so I think just having like a open communication as part of the way you manage a team sounds like it would be greatly, greatly appreciated by your your team. You know, one of the things that I think I wanted to spend some time on was just hoping that directors really understand how much influence they have over the development and self-esteem of their dancers. You know, you've got to remember you're picking teams of like 19, you know, people that are in their formative years as an adult, not to say that you're their mama and that you have to baby them, but just knowing how impressionable and where you're at as a woman at that time in your life or man. And I just think the feedback that you do give and the criticism that you do give, just understanding that it holds a whole lot of weight for people at that age, probably any age, but especially at that age. And I think it's just a responsibility as a director that i I don't know that maybe they take lightly, but you know, when I have friends that are in their thirties or much later in life, or you hear about it, read about it, that are still struggling with comments that directors have made, the way that they were treated by directors, like this shit sticks around and it really impacts people. And I just think that with that kind of influence, you know, there comes a responsibility. I think you can absolutely give constructive feedback to people that are on your team without it being so emotionally damaging, you know, and I don't think it's your job to be a life coach and to lift people up 24-7. I mean, that's not what pro truly and pro-dance is really about, obviously, but, you know, if you're going to give difficult feedback or criticism, just doing it with a with respect so that it's not crushing or just really damaging like if you know when you're hearing something that's meant to help you and something that's just meant to clown you and I think the ridicule or just lack of sensitivity as to how things may be expressed is something that directors can own and probably work on is the delivery and that obviously has like a piece that's on the professional dancers as well and the pro cheerleaders to basically be a grown up about it and know that this person isn't here to hold your hand. But if they're giving you some objective feedback in a respectful manner, you just have to take it as that. But it really just hit me that they have lasting impacts. Your leadership style and the way that you communicate has long lasting ramifications. And, you know, how do you want to be remembered as somebody that was feared and gave everybody anxiety, made people cry? Or do you want to be known as somebody who lifted people up and you know, gave honest but very, very fair feedback? I think you can kind of understand the impacts of having one over the other. And it just breaks my heart to think of like, people who still struggle with how they were treated. And it's always somebody that's in a leadership role probably that you respect and admire. And if it really was damaging to the way that you feel about yourself, it's just not really, it's not ideal. Like that's not something that I would want if I were a director is to have that kind of impact on people being tough. Yeah. Fine. Being, you know, honest, you know, having difficult conversations. Yes. But always with the lens of love and and respect for people. One of the other things that I wanted to talk about too, is just that you guys as directors have a broader level of influence on what we consider to be our industry, right? Like, You, 26 plus 30 directors, at least for the NBA and NFL, all directors of cheerleading and dance teams, you guys have a very, very important position because it keeps our industry alive. And I'm hoping always that like the NBA directors are communicating with each other, NFL directors when they have their director meeting are communicating with each other and just kind of sharing best practices, like how you guys can help elevate the industry as a whole, because I think the changes that we're seeing, especially now with the Rona, I just think now's the time to band together and to really support one another on a broader level because that our industry is kind of like at stake. You know what I mean? I just think you can learn from other directors of how they manage different issues. Like all the interviews that I've done with the NBA directors, I loved hearing how they reach out to one another and they help navigate different concerns and different shifts that they've seen in their industry and i hope that everybody's doing that cuz there's so much more power in that and then i think you know there's wonderfully run programs and it just makes a lot of sense to to share those best practices and to really think of like how you're shaping where this industry could go like and i'm sure they've done it i'm not saying that they don't but like you know, when the first couple of teams took on male cheerleaders, I'm hoping that there was conversations across different teams that ended up adding more male cheerleaders to their programs as well, just to kind of understand how can we make this transition smooth. I'm sure it's being done, but it's just something that I think just big picture, that kind of collaboration between the directors really just helps elevate the industry as a whole in making some of the changes and adjustments that, you know, are happening. The directors are the gateway to showing the value of cheerleaders and dancers professionally for these sports teams. And I think they have to work together across teams and maybe even across industries. Maybe NFL directors can learn from NBA directors ways of, you know, showing that value to the team. I think there's just a lot of room for collaboration and I think that's one message that I'm hoping could be a takeaway is just let's open up means of communication and collaboration between directors across teams. Also across the various leagues, maybe there are things that semi-pro directors could gain and benefit from talking to NFL directors or NBA directors. So I just think hopefully they're establishing a community where they can communicate and collaborate and support one another because I think that overall will just be for the betterment of the pro cheerleading world as a whole. So and the last little comment that a lot of people wrote in about was just diversity and inclusion training. And while I won't, you know, read the open letter that I drafted on the state of diversity and inclusion in the pro cheerleading world, I encourage you to uh, take a look. It's up on my blog on the website, but there was a whole section dedicated to directors and I'm just going to read the bullets in case you didn't read the letter or listen to the episodes over the summer talking about this, but I'm going to mention them because this is geared towards the directors, but there were just a few examples and ideas of ways to practice diversity and inclusion in the way that you manage your team. So I'm going to go over them as to close out this episode because I think they're still super valid points. So one was to encourage and support people of color to wear their hair naturally Instead of insisting upon one beauty standard for team makeovers or eliminating them from consideration in auditions. We just had the whole whip my hair episode last week. And I think directors that want a little bit of insight into how, you know, dancers and cheerleaders feel about their hair. um, It would be a great episode for you to listen to. But that's one. Uh, Consider the various skin tones of your team members when selecting uniforms that appear nude or sheer, as well as any mandatory makeup requirements. Celebrate racial diversity by providing equal opportunities to minorities throughout the season, not just during auditions. So think about what your formations look like, who your squad leaders are, appearances and show group, who you pick to represent the team in marketing collateral and on social media, who's on the calendar cover, things like that. And just think of it as a whole and just make it diverse, like not just one type. It's that simple. Uh, reevaluate your judging criteria and diversity of your judging panel to improve the representation of different minorities in your auditions process and team selection. Reconsider the body types that are good enough to wear your uniform. When evaluating candidates for auditions, don't pit racial minorities against one another to make your selection. Create a new recruitment and outreach strategy in communities of color so that you can increase the turnout at auditions open up discussions of race as part of your squad bonding and team building during orientation and or training camp and keep it as a priority all season long so that you have a safe space for people of all races. And finally, just pay close attention to the squad dynamics for the minorities on the team so they aren't subject to bullying or being left out and have like a zero tolerance policy for any hate or racism and hold everyone accountable to that standard. Uh, I think just those few points, if you're keeping that in mind in your leadership style, I think it'll go a long way. And I'm just going to end with this because I know I've made a promise that I was going to try to watch more (laughs) reality TV, but I am watching the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders making the team. And I have to say that, you know, for the first time watching this show, I just felt like it was for everybody. I didn't enjoy the show for a while just because it was just the same type of cheerleader that was always promoted, always the same type of stories being shared. You know, when they follow the cheerleader outside of their practice and kind of getting to know them a little bit better, it, was, it wasn't enough variety in what they were looking for and what the theme of the show would be about, you know, each episode. And so I will say this season, I don't know if it's purposeful or not, I haven't watched in a more recent season, so maybe it's not brand spanking new, but I will say it's appreciated just... To see the equal amount of attention. And maybe it's been done and it just wasn't the way that the show was edited before. But I really have a newfound or refreshed respect for the way that Kelly and Julie are handling their team. I've always respected their marketing genius and their vision and their high standards and just so much about the program. But it was just different things that kind of chipped away at that. But I will say, in watching this season, So far, granted, we're like a couple episodes in, but a lot of these points that come to mind of what I look for in leaders and the way that things are managed and run, a lot of people come to mind that either I've interviewed and watching this show for DCC, it's kind of like, this is what we're talking about. Like, If you have a more equitable way of managing your team, I think it it just raises the level of everybody involved. Like when you know that they're not just looking at one particular type or just focusing in on their favorites and you're like, wow, I'm noticing this person over here and oh, I didn't know this person can really do X, Y, and Z. It just kind of like makes everybody feel seen and heard and valued. And I think looking back at all of the feedback from everybody, it just sounds to me like people are craving that from their directors. They want to feel seen. They want to feel valued as part of the team. They want to feel respected Um, they want, you know, to have an equal shot at getting the most out of the experience. You know, it always would strike me that sometimes with people with my program would be like, oh my God, it was the best thing ever. And I'm like, well, duh, because you were (laughs) one of the favorites. You know what I mean? Like your experience would be probably completely different from mine, not to say that I had a bad one, but if I had the world of opportunities presented to me as a favorite, like I probably would be like, oh my God, it was the best thing since sliced bread. But it's not that everybody deserves everything. You have to earn it, obviously, right? But just knowing that you have an equal chance at receiving opportunities. This is what we've all been working so hard for. You're super grateful for the opportunity. But I think the way the directors can lead their teams can really make it a team for everyone. That's really what people are craving and hoping to get out of the experience, that once they've reached this height in their career, this dream position, that it's just a matter of the way that the team is run, that everybody's going to be recognized as being a part of that team. It's not going to go from a team of 26 or 30 people to like the five or so that are always focused on. Do you see what I mean? So, and I just think, you know, to end this out, it's just that we have so much respect for you. You know, I think we value everything that you do and bring to the table, to keep these programs alive, to keep people safe. Obviously the teams that have been out there this season, Lord knows what these directors must be doing, sweating bullets. They know that everybody's safe and healthy throughout the season. I think from the feedback that I've received that you are appreciated. Even though we don't see every little thing, we know that there's a lot behind the scenes that you deal with. We know that you advocate for us probably at the risk of losing your own dang on job and that there's a very delicate path in doing that. And so just believing in your dancers and that they're worthy of the fight and the push is something that I'll just say that I'm sure everybody is super, super grateful for. I mean, I'm sure it takes a lot to push for the dancers to be out there this season. And maybe some have won that battle and some haven't. But we see the work that you put in. We know that you hustle hard and we appreciate you. And hopefully some of these points will just be something to take with a grain of salt as you prepare for what's to come next year. Hopefully this will just be a little food for thought to have that communication be a lot more open, just either within your team, across with different directors, and just within your organization to keep pushing our industry forward. So with that, thanks for listening in to Can't Knock the Hustle. Thanks so much for listening to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. You can follow your favorite podcast on social media at Pro Cheerleading Podcast on Instagram, at Pro Cheer Podcast on Twitter, or on Facebook, on YouTube, and you can support your favorite podcast on Patreon. Until next time, keep your eyes on the sidelines.